0: My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and we are we are almost there, right? One week from now, right? One week from now, depending on your living situation, there may be wrapping paper flying, right? There may be kids or grandkids squealing as they open up the presents, the ones you're so excited to see them open up, right? There may be teenagers already with their noses buried in their new electronic devices, right? That may happen. You may be getting dinner ready, right? There are all these kinds of things. Or maybe for you, it's a different situation, and, and you'll be sitting quietly uh, by the tree, you know. You'll have your coffee or whatnot. Uh, of course, we're going to be right here worshiping Jesus uh, here in church next Sunday. So we invite you to join us for that. Uh, be a relaxed time. You can come in your PJs. I don't care. But we're going to be worshiping Jesus. And uh, it's, it's going be, to be a great, great time. You know, we've been talking about the difference between an, an almost Christmas and an altogether Christmas, right? The Sinkhorn family helped us out with that. In fact, right when you guys were walking off the stage, my friend Rich, he goes, good luck topping that. It's, it's true. I'm glad we're on the same team here, right? Because when it comes to cuteness, I would not be able to top you guys. That's for sure. So we have this this belief That during the Christmas season, we could go through all the stuff and all the decorations and all the food and all the fun and all that stuff, and we could almost, almost experience the miracle that is Christmas. What a tragedy that would be. For we'd be missing out on the one who it's all about, right? Our prayer for you this Christmas is that you would experience an all-together Christmas, one that is centered around Jesus Christ, one that is a real experience with Jesus. And it's not that we're like down on all the other stuff. That's good. That stuff's great. But we want you to experience the whole thing. In fact, uh, we got a little video here that explains what this is all about. Uh, it, it's kind of a poem. They channel their inner Dr. Seuss here, okay? So, so this might help you understand a little bit between that almost and altogether Christmas. Let's check this out. T'was
1: the week before Christmas, and at Cheryl and Steve's place, a look of awe hit their friend Edward right in the face. Wow, you really went all out. Going all out is what we're all about. Mm-hmm. All year we can't wait for Christmas to begin. Well, if Christmas were a competition, you two would surely win. <laughs> oh. I mean, we've got the tree, we got the lights, we got all the Christmas sights. Yeah, you even have uh, Bing Crosby and some uh, festive tights. We've got all the Christmas glee, from that choo-choo train there to this. Merry embroidery. You overdoing it with the Bing Crosby? <laughs> we deck the halls with shimmering snow. All the gifts and, well, a little message Ella. Not now, babe. As you can see, Christmas is all about the bouquet. That's why we go all the way. Mm-hmm. We, which way? The way. All the way. Well, I don't think this is the way. Question our way, you say? Babe. Well, well there's, there's only one way. One way? What way you say? Well, his way. Wait. I'm sorry. Whose way? God's way? No way. Yes, way. Who say? Yahweh. Wait, no play? No play. I mean what I say. Should we We delay? delay? (laughs) Do it today. Okay. Okay. You see, Jesus, God's son, said I am the way, the truth, and the light. I'm sorry, we don't mean to cause strife. This is just a lot for me and my wife. It's okay. It can be hard giving everything over to God, but He can change anything, no matter how flawed. And Christmas is the perfect time to join God's squad. Okay. But can we still have the sweaters, the carols, and the Christmas cookies? What about these? I'm sorry. My husband and I, we seem hmm. to be rookies. Have all the fun, Cheryl and Stephen, But just remember that Jesus, he's the reason for the season. Jesus came to earth for you and me. He paid the ransom to set us free. I've never heard such a rhyme. Your words, your heart, all sublime. Huh. Thank you for choosing to assist us. My pleasure. Hey.
0: Merry Christmas. That's pretty much the story right there. I mean, I could just sit down now, but you know me better than that, right? Like, that won't happen. But seriously, that is the heart of what it's all about. We're not anti the other stuff. We we want you to experience the life-changing power of God through Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, through, through an encounter with God that gives you this life-changing hope and love and peace. And today we talk about joy. Joy. And this all goes back, you know, we trace it way back to John Wesley who talked about the almost Christian, right? The one who uh, lives a lot of the externals, goes to church and, you know, maybe they serve some or they do this, that or the other kind of thing. But they're just kind of going through the motions, that's a tragedy. We want you to have an all encounter with Jesus. And so we want you to have an altogether joy. Because everybody needs joy. Amen? We need joy in our lives. Life is hard. It's difficult. We go through so many challenging times. And, and when we don't have joy in our lives and we go through hard times, what happens is is that we lose vision for the bigger picture. We get obsessed with the negative that's right here in front of us because we don't have something deeper that is anchoring us. We don't have something that is holding us strong to the truth of God in Jesus Christ. So when we go through those difficult times, they they can they can cause us to lose that vision. Like we're, we're riding high one day and things are going great, and then something bad happens and our life comes crashing down. Right? It's circumstantial, if you will. And I want to ask you today: Do you have a joy in your life that sustains you through the ups and the downs? And it doesn't mean that you don't get unhappy at times or don't go through difficult times. But do you have a joy? An underlying joy that truly sustains you. You see, people often confuse happiness and joy. We almost use them as, as synonyms, and they're related, but they're they're different. Happiness is an almost joy. It's an almost joy. Because happiness depends on what's happening. What's happening? It's circumstantial, okay? And so what's happening will sometimes be great in your life. You've been through those seasons. And sometimes it will be incredibly crummy. You've been through those seasons as well. So happiness is going to take a lot of ups and downs, oftentimes that you can't even control, oftentimes by things outside of your kind of nucleus of control. That's where happiness can be. It depends on what's happening I'm happy when I drive through the lights down at Riverbend, right, and experience all that fun. I'm happy when I've got a burrito in my hand. That's a good day right there, right? I'm happy maybe when the Bengals win, right? They're giving us lots of happiness lately. Thank God for Joe Burrow, right? Life's good, right? We don't want to jinx it or anything. But, you know, right, happiness in so many of these kinds of things. But the acid test is this where are you at when things don't go your way? Everybody in the world is happy when the circumstantial stuff is good. That's not, you don't need to be a person of faith to have that. But what about when the externals are not so good? Do you find yourself having an almost joy? Like, well, like these babies here, right? Like that's, that's kind of us sometimes, right? We, we say that we've got joy, but in reality, what we've got is a happiness. And when the circumstances aren't so good, there we are. There we are. Jesus offers something so much deeper than that. Joy and altogether joy is not contingent on your circumstances. It's not contingent on your friends or your family around you. It's not contingent on how much you got or don't got in the bank. It's not contingent on how well your Christmas plans are going or how poorly they're going. It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. Joy is a gift from God that that comes from salvation. Joy is there on on the good days and on the difficult days. And so when, when the bad days come, When the hard times come and I've got joy, I can approach it differently. I can look at those bad times. I can look at those hard circumstances, and and I can speak truth to them through the power of God. I can say, you know, this may be bad, but my God makes a way where there is no way. This this may be difficult, but he's gotten me through so much before. I know he's going to get me through this time. My God is faithful when everybody else on earth is not. My God forgives when I mess up. My God forgives when others mess up. My God offers eternal life. So even, even if your circumstances are terminal here on this earth, there's a place for joy. Because we know that the things of this earth are just the beginning. That for the Christian, even death is just the beginning of eternal life with God. And don't misunderstand, that doesn't mean these things aren't hard. It doesn't mean that we go through with this, like, mythical, like, oh, I don't care about it. Like, that's nonsense. Of course, we grieve, we, we cry, we suffer, we experience pain. That's part of being a Christian. But we've got something deeper than all of that. We can experience joy. Because we pray and we believe that God's kingdom come, God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That there's something more than just this stuff. God works out all things for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. So my friends, your faith determines your feelings of joy. Your faith determines your feelings of joy. So what, what if we don't have joy in our lives? Well, what, what can that mean? What, how, what do we do about it? Well, there's, there's probably a lot of reasons. I can't go into all of them today, so I'm just, I'm just going to go for the jugular. I'm just going to go for the big one here. The, the main one is sin. Sin separates us from God, and you see, sin silences joy. When, when we sin, it distances us from God. It puts distance between us and God, it builds up a wall. That doesn't mean that like you lose your salvation every time you sin. I'm not saying that, but when we sin, it builds up this wall between us and God, and it and we bring things into our lives that separate us from that joy, or that that tear away at that that joy that we experience because this is not these are not God's will for us. Sin can be a bit of a joy exterminator, right? It, because the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. It, it brings death in many different ways. It, it hurts relationships. It brings so much pain. Sin silences joy. I'll give you an example from Scripture. Remember the story of, of David and Bathsheba in the Old Testament. David was the king of Israel, and things were going quite well for him at this point. He was in a pretty powerful position, and it's it's springtime, the time the Bible tells us where uh, the army goes out to war, right? This was kind of how things operated in those days. David, of course, as the king, was responsible for leading his his men in battle, but David didn't do that this year. The Bible says that David stayed home while his men went out to fight, and and this isn't like a encouragement towards violence. It is, it's stating though that that David is not doing what he's supposed to do. He's not doing what kings did. Okay, he's 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 kind of shirking his responsibilities. So David is at home in the palace in Jerusalem. Uh, the palace sat up at the top of the hill, and below it there were a variety of houses, kind of built into that hill. Right, it's called the city of David. And so. Uh, David goes out on his roof one night, can't sleep, and he's out there, and he sees a woman who's bathing on the rooftop. Now, that sounds weird to us, but that was fairly normal then. You had, you know, houses were built differently. The roof was kind of an extension of the house itself, and houses were quite small. So this wasn't like a immoral or immodest kind of thing to do. David, however, he sees her. He lusts after her. And despite the fact that David has, well, multiple wives, David says, hey, Who's that that girl down there? And he's told, well, that's uh, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of your elite fighting men. In other words, this is the wife of, like, one of your army rangers or navy seals, one of the guys who's out there in battle fighting for you right now, king. And David says, bring her in. Bathsheba is brought to him. He has sex with her, and and don't misunderstand, this this can't be consensual, okay? He's the king, he's calling, he he's at fault here, right? This is this is David abusing his power in an incredible way. And unfortunately, it's only going to get worse. He sends her home, thinks he's gotten away with it. No big deal. You're the king of Israel, you can do what you want, right? (laughs) Bathsheba comes back and says, David, I'm pregnant. Well, this is a problem because her husband is out where he should be at battle. So this is going to be a problem for David about a little less than nine months from now. So David, uh, he plans a big cover-up. And he calls for Uriah to be sent back home from the battlefield to give the king a report, right? And after giving the king a report, uh, David thanks him and he says, you know, you, you go home tonight. You can go home and you can be with your wife and we'll send you back tomorrow to the battlefield. Well, Uriah is like the opposite of David in the story, which is interesting because he's like a foreigner, right? He's a Hittite, he's not an Israelite, right? And, and David's supposed to be out at battle. Uriah is brought back from battle, offered the chance to go home one night, and Uriah, he doesn't do it. He stays and he sleeps on the steps of the palace. He says, how could I possibly go home to my wife when my brothers are out there risking their lives for this country? David's frustrated, brings him back in again, this time feeds him a big meal, gets him drunk, right? Let's, let's help, uh, help Uriah to chill out a little bit about this integrity stuff, right? Nope, won't do it. Uriah's integrity becomes his death sentence, however, as the king sends him back to the battlefield with a a letter, a sealed letter for his commander. And this letter says that Uriah is to be placed in the most dangerous spot in the battle. And then when things really heat up, the other men will be told to pull away But Uriah will not have been given this instruction, so he alone will be there to be murdered by the enemy. That's exactly what happens. Uriah dies. Bathsheba mourns. After she mourns, David goes and takes her as his wife. It seems that he's gotten away with the perfect cover-up. Don't mind the sexual sin, the murder, and all that stuff. That's beside the point. Then one day, Nathan comes in. Nathan is a prophet, a man whose job it is to speak the word of the Lord to people. And Nathan says, David, I I want to tell you a story about something that's happened here in Israel. There's, There's this guy, and he's got all these sheep and goats. He's doing really well. He's very successful, very wealthy, right? And he's got a neighbor who's not doing so well, okay? He doesn't have any flocks of his own. In fact, he gets a lamb, but he doesn't, you know, it doesn't come from his flocks. He has to go and buy it. So he's got one lamb that he went and he bought off of somebody. And this guy, he's, he's pathetic, let me tell you. He takes this lamb, and would you believe, he lets it eat from his plate, drink from his cup. He sleeps at night holding this lamb, right? Like, this is, this is now I know some of you do this with your cats, I get that. <laughs> but this is a farm animal, okay? This was not normal. David has to be kind of laughing at this time, like, this guy, okay, well, you know what? More power to you, big bo peep, you know, if that's your thing, okay. Well, David, one day, the guy with all the sheep, he has a guest come over, and he needs, he needs the sheep to slaughter to, to have a big meal, right? And, and he looks out, he sees all of his flocks, but he doesn't go there. He goes over to his neighbor's house, and he knocks on the door, and and Big Bo Peep answers the door. He's got little lamb right there, right? And and, and this guy, can you believe it? This guy grabs this poor little lamb, takes it home, sacrifices it, and feeds it to its guests. David is irate. How, How can this be? Who in all of Israel would do something so atrocious? Surely this man must die. Nathan looks at him and he says, David, you are the man. Be sure your sin will find you out. For some here today, you don't love this story because you're living in some sin and you think you've got the cover up all set. Nobody nobody knows. Nobody's going to know. You've been doing this a while. You're good at it. Be sure your sin will find you out. Maybe it will be in this lifetime. Maybe it will be a painful realization like what David had. Maybe it will be when you lose the job or the police are at your door or the whatever it is happens that's your worst nightmare. Or maybe, maybe you're really good enough that you will pull the wool over everybody's eyes and you won't have to explain to your spouse, your family, your work, your whatever. Maybe, doubtful, but God knows. And it's appointed to people once to die and then the judgment. So you're not getting away with it, period. Stop kidding yourself. It's not going to happen. And, and, and when I talk about joy, you're not really experiencing it. You have happiness sometimes, but you're living this life that's got this stuff that's hidden away, and if you're honest with yourself, it's hurting your joy. It may be bringing some happiness, but it's hurting your joy. You don't have that deep-seated, where would you be if it got found out? Where would you be? Jesus offers you something better. He offers you a joy that's so much better than the happiness that can come through these things. And maybe you, you know this. Maybe you're hurting deep down inside and, and you don't know what to do about it. Well, David, it's interesting. David is known as a man after God's own heart. And when you hear this story, you'd say, you've got to be kidding me. A man after God's not into that stuff. And think about King Saul. Saul lost the throne for, quite frankly, much lesser things, we might say, than, well, rape murder. <laughs> why different with David? Why is it different with David? Well, I think this is why. Psalm 51 is what David wrote after this confrontation, we believe. And it says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Notice that. He's sinned against a whole lot of people, not just God. But what he's saying is that at its core... Sin is a rebellion against God. So you are right in your verdict, justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret places. So cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let my heart hear joy and gladness. Of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. (laughs) And that's the difference between David and Saul, between David and so many people throughout history. David was a terrible sinner in this situation, but when confronted with his sin, he humbled himself. He owned it. There's no excuses. <laughs> There's no blaming. There's no, but I had the power to, nope. I'm the king, and I've sinned against you, Lord. He owns it fully. He asked God for forgiveness. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Friends, What if those were your words? What if instead of living in fear of getting caught, you could live in a place of forgiveness? You could live knowing that Jesus gave his life for you, knowing that your sins, when you confess them, that they're forgiven. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What if you could live in that joy? What if you could live in that freedom? What if you didn't have to fear being found out? Because you can find forgiveness and you can move forward. Maybe you need to get some help moving forward. Do it. Maybe you need to confess this in your band or to your life group. Maybe you need to to seek professional help. Maybe whatever it is you need to do, do it. I want you to have freedom. I want you to have joy. Something that won't be put back in the box three weeks from now when we move on. No, something that will change your life. Something that you would look back and say, that Christmas 2022 I got serious about some stuff in my life, and there was change. Maybe you're here and, and you've never given your life to Jesus before. Friend, that's, that's step one. That's the beginning of it all. Maybe you've been trying to, like, you know, work really hard and be really good and hope someday maybe that your goods can outweigh your bads and, and, and God will be good with that. Well, God's not good with that. He's not. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, my friends, joy, it comes from confession. Joy comes from confession. After David confessed, listen, because the Psalms aren't necessarily in order. I, I don't know exactly when this next Psalm was written, but I have to think it followed that confession. Psalm 32 Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. What a way to live. What a way to live. Joy comes from confession. This is the joy that is made possible because Jesus came down to this earth because Jesus gave his life his his birth brought joy that's why we talk about it. remember the shepherds remember the story of the shepherds right uh, the angel said to them Luke chapter 2 do not be afraid i bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord this will be a sign to you You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Do you catch that? It's good news that will cause great joy. Great joy. And now the shepherds, they didn't fully understand why it would cause great joy. They just experienced by the power of God. We know why. We experience it now because we know that joy comes from Jesus. Joy comes from Jesus because it's Jesus who gave his life so that we can be made right with God. It's Jesus who gave himself so that we could have forgiveness and healing. And this is so much deeper than just a temporary feeling or some lights on a tree or some dinner and some gifts and all that. That stuff's fine, but I'm offering you something a whole lot better than that a whole lot more life-changing. We're talking about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where you can find forgiveness and healing and true joy. Because friends, we need a savior, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. It's so much deeper than the temporary circumstances. You, you may be here today, and maybe you're, maybe you're going through some, some tough times. And, and maybe those tough times have kind of, kind of knocked you on your tail. That happens in life sometimes. We go through tough times. In fact, I, I was in here last night, and I was thinking this stuff through. Um, I was told to come in here. I always go through it Saturday night. That's my routine. And as I was doing that, it just kind of hit me. To be honest, I've had a crummy week. And, and I don't want you to, like, fear, like, oh, no, like, a horrible thing. No, like, it's, church is great. My marriage is great. But pastors, we have crummy weeks too, right? There's just there's a lot of stuff going on. That's one thing. Uh, my wife had nerve surgery on her arm, and this next week she gets no surgery, right? So, like, that's that's a lot. And so I don't really have it hard, but she has it hard, and my heart's hurting for her. And, uh, you know, bo- both of our moms, f- significant financial – or sorry, uh, physical decline uh, this, this year. That's a challenge. We have three teenagers. Don't need to comment further on that. (laughs) To be honest, if today's sermon were about happiness, I would have sent the notes to Pastor Mark last night and asked him to preach it. Because I would be a hypocrite. It's been a week that hasn't been overly happy. But it's not about happiness. And this message resonates in my heart today. Because if I didn't have the joy of the Lord, I wouldn't be up here talking. If I didn't have the joy that's much deeper than the stuff that happens in my random week and your random week and everybody else's random week, it's so much deeper than that. And I want you to have that kind of joy. It doesn't mean that problems are all gone or life's always easy. It's a real joy. It's a real joy that changes your life. Have you sinned and you're feeling guilty? Well, Psalm 30, his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy, but joy comes in the morning. Maybe you're in a night of weeping, my friend. Joy will come in the morning through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're sad because of loss. John 16, now is your time of grief, but Jesus says, but I will see you again and you will rejoice And no one will take away your joy. Most importantly, do you have the joy that comes from knowing Christ Jesus and being saved by him? 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what I want for you today. But it's your choice. It's not mine. I'm gonna pray here in a minute. And I'm gonna pray that prayer by which we ask Jesus into our hearts. It's the most important decision, the most life-changing decision you'll ever make. And I'm gonna invite you, maybe you haven't prayed that prayer, I'm gonna invite you to pray it right along with me. And maybe you have prayed it a while back, but you say, honestly, John, I've (laughs) I've gotten a long ways off track. And I'm a lot closer to my Bathsheba moment than my give my life to Jesus moment. Well, friends, he's here. He's calling you back home. He's offering you forgiveness, hope, peace, love, and joy. So come, Lord Jesus. You are God with us. Lord, I confess that in my life I mess a lot of stuff up. I've sinned. And though I've tried, I certainly can't right all the wrongs that I've caused. So I need your forgiveness. I want to trust in you. For you went to the cross. You took my sin, my shame, my guilt. You paid my debt. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I receive your gift. I ask that you would fill me with the power of your holy spirit. That you would that you would baptize me in fire. Empower me, fill me with that joy that I may follow you and live for you. That you would truly be the lord of my life. And God for those who've we've gotten off track. It happens. We want to come back. Would you create in us a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within us? Please don't cast us away from your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit, Lord. Please restore to us that joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within us. God, you're so good. We love you so much. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.